Let me talk you through the two most emotional, stressful months of my sales career. It's no big deal to call a CTO and tell I want to talk. You cannot stand on the sideline and basically wait until the dice rolls itself. It's never going to happen. I don't know if this is going to be on the record or off the record. It's almost like playing with cards, this job. Like, it's like you, you get given a, a hand of cards and like you have to do the best with what, what you have. Someone might have been watching, watching down on me. Me and Jack going into this, when, when he originally told me exactly the same, like, oh, you know, Jack, I've got this idea, you know, what about this? I just, my first thought was, my God, if no, well, I don't even care if anyone, like, listens to this, you know, if I take one key takeaway from every recording, I'll be such a better rap. This is no big deal, the sales podcast. Welcome back to series two of No Big Deal with me, Jack Nico and Jack Fox. And we are very excited to welcome Kendall Gallagher to the podcast. Now, I've actually engaged with Kendall on sales calls. And the reason why I wanted to invite her on is because I have seen her in her element and she is amazing, uh, far better at discovery than I am. But as a bit of a description, Kendall has cut her craft in sales in the past 10 years. She was number one rep three years in a row at a previous company and ended up crafting the top performing region there in selling in a new segment. Most recently, she's leading a sales team over at Scaled Consulting who sell professional services and implementation. Thanks for joining us, Kendall. I'm happy to be here. The Jacks. Yeah, welcome, Kendall. Thanks for joining. Do you know what? Before we kick off, normally I ask a question, and normally the question is the same question every week. I always say, what did the deal that you're going to talk about today mean to you? However, I'm going to give you a minute to think about what the deal meant to you before you answer that question. Okay. And actually, I was in the gym this morning, I was well bored, so I put together a list of quiz questions for us there. They are negotiation-related quiz questions, right? And I am the prospect... And we have gone through a whole deal cycle and we're right at the end of it. We're at terms, we're negotiating. Mm-hmm. And um, the game is truth or bluff. Am I telling the truth or am I bluffing you to negotiate? <laughs> and um, you got to tell me, like, there's one answer to these and everybody's experienced. I've got five questions here. Everybody has experienced each of these, I guarantee it. So question, truth or bluff? We've had the business case approved by the CEO but we won't be able to sign off until next quarter, unfortunately, when our funding clears. Truth or bluff? Truth. Jack? Bluff? Truth? Mm. Truth. No, truth. Truth. Agreed. That is true. That is true. That's a, But that would be a fucking good negotiation. So you can have that one if you need it. Next one. <laughs> we've, thank you for the quote. We were ready to sign today, but we've just got a quote from the competitive vendor is 30% less and we need you to match it. Bluff. Great tactic, truth. (laughs) That's bluff, that's bluff. (laughs) Kendall, you're too good, your instincts are on fire. Right, next, two for two, Kendall, two for one, Jack. Uh, Sorry, one for two. Great news, we can sign this month, but we found a quote you gave us last year that is 20% less that we need you to honor. Truth or bluff? I have had something similar happen, so I'll say truth. I've also had something similar. Truth. <laughs> Same, it fucking happened to me today. <laughs> happened to me today. <laughs> I just lost 20% of my deal. So, yeah, you're both right. Truth. Okay. 
Our CEO has given the green light to sign, but a CFO is blocking all upfront payments. Can you offer monthly? Truth or bluff? Bluff. No one does monthly payments. You're talking about B2B tech, Jack. What about services? Okay, yeah, services. (laughs) You're paid up front. You're paid up front. One installment. Yeah, no, I'll go with bluff. Yeah, it's a bluff. No, everyone's trying to chance it there. Okay, final one. Yes, we like your solution at 75,000, but anything over 50,000 has to go via procurement. Can you make it 50? Bluff, there's no, I know that's something that can happen, but that's a huge discount. The audacity, just (laughs) that, true. Yeah, I went truth as well. Kendall, you didn't get one wrong. Um, Good luck all sales reps. I got trust issues, you know? All right, well that, that leads us into the, that's a good segue to lead us into the next question tell us other than teaching you trust issues what did this um deal that you're going to talk to us today uh what did it do for you do you know and i don't just mean at work i kind of mean like outside of work what did it do for you in your career what did it do for you in your life like if it was a big paycheck associated to it or if it like set you on a path of you know a first for knowledge and education what did it do for you and how did it change your the trajectory of where you are yeah, um, I think just immediate sales career for me, it showed me that I am capable of selling to larger companies. Uh, probably uh, wasn't great at it initially, but that um, it could be really interesting. And I think that did kind of point me in a direction to go up market um, for my career. It did ultimately lead to quite a bit of recurring revenue and projects. Um, and then introductions to other companies because people really enjoyed working with us. Another career thing for me would be down the line, and I'm, you know, we'll we'll talk about this. It actually taught me a really valuable lesson as a people leader, and that's that you gotta let your team burn sometimes because they'll learn the lesson and they'll make the right decisions the next time. And it yeah. I think it ta- it taught me a really valuable lesson when I became a leader down the road that you gotta you gotta let your team learn the hard way sometimes. And and why in this scenario, Kendall, do you think you weren't? You, what what was the lesson for that I learned? Yeah. In the the deal in general, or specific to letting your team learn the hard way? Yeah. The latter specific yeah, to letting, yeah, your the, team the letting your team burn thing, yeah. Oh, I think that, um, you know, unless what I learned from that and, and gleaned from that was it unless your reps understand that they made decisions themselves and feel the autonomy and have to really reflect on how something impacted them, they're not always going to make the right choice moving forward. You can steer them in the right direction. You can put hard stops and hard no's, but if you want them to continue to understand how to make the right choices and be more strategic, sometimes the best lesson is to let them make the wrong choice within reason. Um, And that's something, yeah, that just stuck with me because it really shifted my mindset as a seller from short-term now, now, now to strategically long-term, what does this mean? Not only for me, but what does it mean for the company? And if you do want to get into upper level leadership, that that for the company mindset within reason is really important. And it's a really hard shift to make unless you get burnt. Do you know what? Being on the other end of that as a sales rep whose manager in the past has let me burn, 
it's like way more valuable to learn that way that you have to feel the pinch and you have to like have experienced the pain to know that next time you're not going to do it again but if you get saved every time you never really learn the lesson you might save the deal and the deal the revenue might come in but you never really learn the lesson until you lose the deal and you feel the pinch yeah um yeah well nice nice intro and um that's a good way to get us kicked off can you tell us then in a nutshell maybe in like a minute can you give us like a snapshot of this deal from start to finish and just tell us where it went and we can then jump into the critical parts about where you learned that lesson yeah for sure so um started in a really unconventional way it started actually at an unconventional conference um and i was connecting with someone and and um it was a it was a relatively large, very well known company. Thought I was talking to a lower level procurement guy, right? This is an IT diversity conference, um, so it was mostly just like the the booth babes, so to speak, that were you know trying to see if there was good candidates, hearing out different software, and bringing it all back to leadership, and they'd go from there. So I had a really great conversation with this guy, connected, really got to know him, ended up finding out he was the very, 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 very head of IT procurement for this company. Um, so set a meeting with him, learned some really, really interesting, juicy details about struggles they had, proposed a unique solution that they weren't considering at the time. And he said, all right, get me a proposal in two weeks. So did my research, got to know the team, thought I had learned everything. I was their best friend. They loved me. There was nothing I didn't know because, hey, I knew that we were saving them money and that's the only thing that matters, right? Um, it got to the actual procurement process where head guy is not involved whatsoever. You know, he's too high level. And uh, six weeks later and back and forth and not understanding why procurement wasn't working with me and wasn't seeing the value of the deal, had the team that I was supposed to work with come and tell me, we're done. We, we have to go. We are losing so much money by not taking action right now. Um, and it was terrifying because it was this huge deal, this huge opportunity. Everything was going well. I there was nothing that could go wrong. And then they were ready to leave the very next day after telling me that. So ended up um, making some pretty big concessions with procurement and our professional services agreement. It's you know, important to, to point out, this is an IT services firm. So it's not B2B tech. It's not um, you know, ARR related. It's once you sign an agreement saying, we will operate under these terms, under these prices, X, Y, Z, you can't change that. So, um, my manager said, hey, here's the risk. Take the deal immediately or try again. The deal and it got, um, it actually got cut in half the deal size due to the terms. And then we were ultimately held to those terms for the rest of our relationship or partnership with this company. And while we were able to, you know, sell services and, and make a lot of money, um, it was a lot harder. That's that's it in a nutshell. Do you know what? This makes sense why you're so good at the uh, bluff or no bluff game that we played at the start, because obviously you've learned this the hard way. And you know when people are full of shit or when people need to be pressed <laughs> a little bit harder. Yeah. Something that I want to touch on as well, Kendall, is, you know, thinking back when this deal started at the conference itself and like a big thing that you said is. I'd actually be interested to know at what time in the conference you met this person? It was it was a one day, so it was an all day conference and I'd been walking around. So it was probably like end of the day, like people were 
we're kind of like ready to pack up. We're tired. Um, and I just went up to his booth and I was like, oh, cool company. Like, what are, what are you, why are you guys here? What are you looking for? Um, Did you think it would have, do you think you're, you would have changed and probably not had such a good conversation and maybe relationship building with him had you known how senior he was at such a big account? Oh my God. My conversation, I think, would have been so wildly different. I don't even know if I would have been able to approach. I would have. I'm a, I'm a talker. <laughs> but, you know, the, the questions, I, I just, it, it was great. It was such a good learning lesson. It was the end of the day. I just wanted to, like, talk to someone. I was so burnt out. Um, and I thought he was sort of like, you know, my level-ish. And so I was able to have just a conversation about him as a person. Where do you live? What do you do? Oh, I love the Bay Area. What did you think about this conference? Do you hate conferences like these? And he was just answering as if it, he was at these all the time. Um, and I was able to just connect with him on a personal level and, and get to know him. To which after we exchanged numbers and I went on LinkedIn finding out, oh my God, that's who I was just talking to. <laughs> Do you know what? It's like when you have a conversation with your prospect when you're ahead of target. <laughs> it is. And you're like, it really is. You're like, you're right. Yeah. How are you getting on? More casual. You're like, no yeah. commission, bruh. Yeah. You're like, what are you up to in the week? How's the kids? Like, your company's so cool. It's totally different when you're behind target. You're like, anyway, should we cut straight to it? Let me tell you about my agenda. <laughs> yep. Yep. Straight to it. And I think too, you know, it's it's something that I I was really fortunate. I'm a seasoned seller. No, I was really fortunate that I've been selling years before COVID. And so a lot of what we did, especially in services, is in-person work. It's a lot of heavy relationship-based sales and relationship building to maintain your customers and build your customers and things like that. But um, even though I'd been doing this for a couple of years and been in person, it was always very straight to the business. And you speak, you know, you, you adapt your communication styles depending on the leader, which you should absolutely still do. I'm sure I threw in a couple F-bombs that were unwarranted. Um, but something to take note of now is we are in this, we li- we die by 30-minute increments. We live and die by our Zoom 30-minute meetings. And it's so straight to the point. And we, it, it's just, there is no, there's very little personality to it. And so one, like if you can get in person, if you can get to conferences, if you can have these conversations, if you can call up a prospect for like one small thing, but then like keep them on the phone for 10 minutes and ask them how they're doing and get to know them, like the impact that it can have. And I know that we say this over and over again, but truly we're all just people like trying to not be in 30 minute intervals. <laughs> so. Do you know what? Can we just focus on that for a second? Because that I've noticed the same thing. And I was thinking about it the other day, pre COVID, I don't remember my life being so run by my calendar so rigidly in these 30 minute or one hour slots. I don't remember having to be like, we've got one hour, we need to get this done. I remember being like, we've got a call at three mm-hmm. and we've got a call at three and I'm not sure when it's gonna end. And now it's like, we've got a call at three and it must end at 3.30. And I'm, I don't ever remember my life being that way before, but it's almost like I've been so indoctrinated by the post COVID world. I've totally forgotten what it's it was like different. prior to that. And we don't do like, we, I, why, why can't we set nine minute meetings? I mean alternative Hello. call me all right just pick up the phone that's fine too yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think, yeah I agree. you know what I it agree. was if, if you were if you were selling in person i mean best practice was like do not set a meeting even if you're on site or in the exact same location don't set a meeting 
right after another. It's always a 30 minute block. And so there was that time to relax and have those conversations. And, and now it's, yeah, we're ruled by our calendar. So do you, just back to this deal, do you think that that played a big factor in it, that initial meeting and how your tone was really relaxed and how the introduction was really easy and so on? Did that have a knock-on effect as the deal went on that you you, you kind of had, he had his guard down? Absolutely. I mean, I think one, he appreciated just a real conversation. We did, I mean, we talked a little bit of business mm. and, and approach and kind of connected over, you know, the, some of the negative things that we both experienced in this sort of realm and um, especially like the IT, uh, like supplier diversity kind of spiel. And I think without connecting, like, I don't think he would have gone to bat for me. He had no reason. He had, mm. he had no reason to bring mm. me in at the 10th hour other than I like what she had to say and she's a nice person. Like, sure, let's give it a go. Yeah. And then- so know just I to... find... go Yeah, on, go on, Jack. You go, mate. I was gonna say, do you know what I find back to the initial point, going to conferences myself, is that if I'm walking around booths, other sales reps are so, I'm gonna say trigger happy to show me their product without ever doing any discovery. It's like you go over there, you know, and Kendall, you ask the question, you know, why are you guys here? Like, yeah, if I do that to a booth, the first thing is to be like, this is what we do. Mm. And, you know, I feel like the, the, the conferences I've been going to this year, I've been really just trying to not show any, any product whatsoever and be like, oh, okay, well, actually, why don't you tell me what you do? And, yeah. you know, these are the challenges that we help solve for. Um, like, if you're interested, we can set up a product demonstration later on. Um, and I think that more casual, just chit chat, we know what it's like when you do face-to-face meetings, how much better are they? They're so much better. You just get like a feel for the person. You can see body language. You've got their full attention. Like if you were sat in a face-to-face meeting and someone was just on their phone, you would be like, (laughs) 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 you wouldn't do that on Zoom. If you see someone scrolling through tabs and like typing, you're not going to be like, sorry, mate. Yeah. Uh, What are you doing? So true. Lost that. Totally lost that. And I think the other thing to back to the to the deal is again in person was so ingrained in the sales process at this time, you know, begging my man like I said I told my manager like I'm going to the Bay Area I need you to buy my ticket like I need the company to 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 do it and they were like okay well you have, you got to go set other meetings in the Bay Area if we're gonna fly you up there for this like random conversation. Um, but again, like sitting down with him, breaking bread, having lunch, he's had a hell of a day. This this specific. Um, you know, inventory management issue was on his mind. And I just remember sitting there and he's just like eating a salad. Like I just, this is just driving me crazy. And I'm like, have you ever thought about, you know, and it, it, it I don't think if I had set up a zoom meeting with him to like catch up and talk about yeah, your challenges, yeah. like it, we would have been able to connect and he would have been so honest right away about what he was struggling with. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. The common theme of these big deals and how they kick off, Kendall, is that we always find that these in-person meetings are such critical, pivotal points to the deal. And I won't regale the story that I had, but in my previous role in, a, in another life, I was on my way to a client meeting and we actually crashed on the motorway. We got <laughs> sideswiped by an 18-wheeler. who like, oh, crashed us into the thing. But we, when we got to the client's office we didn't tell them until afterwards we just tried to like keep a brave face and afterwards we were like 
Yeah, she came out to the car. She's like, what happened to your car? <laughs> we were like, oh, oh we got God. crashed into by an AT wheel. She was like, you've just been sat in my office for an hour and a half and you didn't tell me that you got crashed into by an AT. We were like, well, we wanted to get the job done first. Yeah. <laughs> so like, and that is obviously, that stuck with us. Remember, she ended up being a client of us for like two and a half years after that. And it just goes to show, like, obviously, outside of the car crash, but the anecdote and the and the story and the commitment to going to meet them, all of that just plays into the fact that it's like, we have a relationship now. Things are slightly different between us in the business negotiations. There's a lot more back and forth, a lot more friendliness. I think it's massive. It's massive. Kendall, after the conference, when you knew you had, like, potentially there was a project you were going to sell to, what were your next steps to try and build momentum in the deal yeah so i'm i i got you know trigger happy got got approval to get up to the bay area gotten in person had lunch with him learned about these issues um and he had said hey we need to start though in three weeks we've been working on this and going through this process looking at different tech vendors and different solutions for months and months so you need to get me a proposal within two weeks so for me thinking that I was the most brilliant sales rep and I'm so experienced. I was like, okay, I have a list of discovery questions for you. Take it one step further. But you know what, person, I also need to talk to the team. So I got all of the questions answered. Within two weeks, I had set up like 20 meetings with individual contributors, with team leads, with people who like uh, product teams that like touched this inventory management division and I spoke their language and I knew the other solutions and I knew people's pain points. And I was able to craft this proposal that was just chef's kiss. And it was the most affordable option. Um, and it was like, I got everything. We're cheaper. And the people like us. That's the value prop or that's that's the, the value engineering right there. Um, mm. and that's kind of how I, I drove the momentum, put the proposal and I'll be honest, like we got the thumbs up. They're like, let's go, let's do it. Um, but little, little, <laughs> little did I know I, I missed a couple things in discovery. So <laughs> we, we got held up, um, which I'm sure we can talk about. I think we were trying so to tell us a positive note. <laughs> No, no, tell, tell us, because this is, this is where the biggest learnings come. So t- tell us, what were, the, what were the bits that you missed that were used against you in the negotiation as you went forward through the procurement process? Yeah, so, you know, thinking, hey, I've I done discovery with Zach from his perspective. What, what is he looking for? Um, done discovery with the team. And for me, it was just, I just need to prove that we're cheaper and we can, do, we can solve their problem. Um, but I forgot to take into account they've been sitting with this problem for months and they needed to make a decision in weeks. And so what ended up happening was even though I got the thumbs up and excitement from the team and they're ready to move forward, I had to go back and forth with procurement and it was six weeks and we had no end in sight. I hadn't really elevated this deal to my leadership soon enough. I was kind of just going tactical, trying to go line item by line item in the red lines. And procurement was basically telling me, we don't see the long-term value to agree to these terms. It's like a very short-term solution. Like, sure, it's cheaper, but like, we can't agree to these these terms. We don't see the value. Um, And then past that, there was just, you know, silly legal terms that we couldn't, we couldn't negotiate. This is now eight weeks since my conversation with Zach, maybe a little bit more. And I could have just asked 
right then and there, what am I getting into with procurement? You are literally the head of procurement. What do I need to bring to my leadership right now to proactively get approved? What do I need to do in this process? And I did. And I had his ear and I just completely missed that. And then the last thing was, I didn't even know that this was going to be an issue. I'm going through the six week process like, oh, you know, sometimes it takes a while. And after six weeks, the the VP of this inventory team goes, we're done. Like, this is costing us too much. We're going to go with a different solution and we're going to start next week, Monday. And I realized, oh my God, I didn't ask about the cost of inaction. I just knew there's other providers. We're cheaper. Mm -hmm. But knowing that we were a more unique bespoke solution, I didn't ask, hey, if we're not able to get up and running or if we're not able to have this impact for X, Y, Z amount of time, what does that mean? Um, and so ultimately I didn't have the value prop for, for procurement for long-term because I didn't ask about anything outside of this one very small project. I couldn't say, Hey, this is how we can extend this long-term and, and provide long-term value. And I had no idea that I was going to get the slap in the face saying we're, we're done with this back and forth. It's been too long. Um, good Where do you go to qualify for procurement? For procurement, uh, my go-to qualifiers are what you know. One, what are your hard and fast terms? What are things that you are you are not going to bend or negotiate on? I will also go back to them and like double check because procurement is taught to, to give you all of the terms as their hard and fast terms. But just being really honest with them, I also get procurement involved extremely early. And if I get a procurement leader, I'm still asking ICs. I'm like, hey. Jan, I'm connected with Brandon, but I'm assuming that you work with them. Um, when you go through this process, what can I do to make your life easier? Because they're going to be doing all the grunt work and the, the paperwork. So um, hard and fast terms. Um, how do you assess the value of a vendor? And is that part of your criteria for flexibility on terms, for approval of pricing? Um, and then again, I think at the very beginning, the procurement you know, can follow a pretty, a relatively similar path, but everyone does things differently. So without having to get into the nitty gritty, I'll just ask them. And I think I, I've said this was, what can I do to make your life easier throughout this process? And that'll get them talking about what the process looks like and where they get hung up. And I think that that just uncovers so much right off the bat. It's like, we're taught. That's to a really enemy. good point. You know, whenever you ask somebody, oh, sorry, Kendall, I think there's a bit of a lag there. Sorry. No, no, go for it. Okay, sorry, sorry. I was gonna, what I was going to say was it's so interesting when you ask people what is the process, what is their process, and they can tell you more about it. And basically what that tells you is more of their, more of the issues that you need to go and untie. So they're going to say to us, oh, sorry, I need to go and get this person's approval, or it needs to be done by this date. And then that exposes, you know, for example, oh, there's another decision maker I wasn't aware of, or they need to get done by this date. Oh, okay, we've got leverage now because you, you've got a short time horizon. Um, just like you mentioned there, it's something I've never done until the last six months or so, um, asking more about the process in order to uncover more problems about the actual buying criteria as well, if that makes sense. Um, and I'll also say asking in, your buyer 
early on, what's the procurement process? And hey, can I talk to someone in procurement? I just want to like get on the same page and aligned. That can be an immediate red flag if they're like, no, 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 no. Like I don't, let's not piss them off. And like, they don't really know about X, Y, and Z. And, and you can start to poke holes in how qualified is this deal? How many people actually know mm. about these conversations? Um, 100%. So. Good practice. Joe, that's really interesting. Me and Jack have been talking a lot recently about gives and gets in sales cycles, courtesy of Jack. Uh, let's, make, let's pretend you made it up, Jack. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I've started to do is, so if anybody asks me for terms or a cheat or a, anything like that, I'll say, yeah, I can give you an approved quote or I can give you a approved order form or so on, but only if you give me an introduction to procurement um, because I'm not just sending these terms into yeah. a black hole. I want to know who the person who's reading it is and what they care about. And if you can get the give and the get there in, in return, then it opens it, it, for some reason. I don't know what the psychology of it is, but the prospect thinks that it's like, they're like, yeah, yeah, actually that's a really good deal. Let me go and intro you. I don't know why, but it just gets yep. the, it gets the wheels moving. Don't know if anyone else has experienced that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's so many good things. Yeah. You can do in deals. Like I'm doing them all the time now with my gives and gets like pointers <laughs> against each other. I'm like, Oh, you want that? Okay. Well, I need that. And then so many times now I'm like qualifying deals out because mm -hmm. they're like, well, actually I can't do that in the time frame, you know, against the mutual action plan or like, I can't do that. Like we're not prepared enough or, Oh, you want a customer reference call? Like I can do that. I can put the resources, but you know, I have to get a customer involved. Like you're going to intro me to the person that signs the contract and they're like, oh, I can't do that. So, well, like, do they even know this is a project? I know. I know. It's amazing. It's literally amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's very good. I'm glad we did the uh, training. Oh, I thought you made it up. Um, yeah, yeah, so I came, up with, I came up with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Kendall, can you tell us about the the close, like the the, the when this deal kind of like when the paperwork was getting done and the project was going live and everything that sort of came to light for you at that point and all the learnings that came with it. Yeah. So. Um, got this note. Hey, we're moving on. We can't do this. T process is taking too long. I go to my leadership team and I say, oh, crap. Um, can we just agree to all these terms, please? And they, they essentially put it back on my manager and said, look, okay, this is a really big company. There's a lot of work that we can do with them here. Um, and you guys make the decision. So my manager sat down with me and said, hey, these are the terms and this is, let me just, in case you don't know, let me let me show you how this will limit projects going forward. Um, because if we agree to this overarching PSA, we have to operate on these terms going forward. And I was like, okay. She's like, so you have the decision to close the deal, move forward, kick this off, or lose this deal. You still got the contacts, you still built relationships and try it again. Now you know more. And you can go into it with the next proposal with a better value prop and we can push harder on, on, um, on different conditions and the choice is yours. And so I said, let's do the deal. <laughs> and um, that, that was awful. It cut my deal size in half, but I was like, I'm gonna do so much more of this. Um, and it was very exciting and we got the PSA I took half the deal size for this initial deal um, and I learned my lesson uh, as a slow burn as I continued to work with this company that I thought was going to be the easiest, best, most robust company that I would ever work with and, and feed me on everything. And I, I just continued to learn um, how I really just bit myself in the ass. Um, and I think my 
this, it was the best thing my manager probably could have ever done for me because I never did that again as a seller. I, I changed my mindset to not only the me, 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 but the company. Um, and that is important with, you know, within reason. Um, and ultimately it set me up to have the mindset of a people leader, which is what I, what I went on to do, which was lead teams and be able to have this more pragmatic mindset. And also, you know, taking it even one step further, like inception was uh, when I was a leader at when situations like this or even smaller would come up, it's like red pill or blue pill you choose. And I learned to let my team make mistakes too, which I think is so important as a leader. Key takeaway with Kendall's episode was one at conferences. Relax. Try and be a lot more human and just spark up conversations that don't necessarily aren't just about like, you know, what you're there for. It's like what they're there for, what they hope to get out of it. And I don't know, just be like more human about it. So um, true. What you said as well is like do discovery. Why would I not? Why I would never meet a prospect and just start pitching straight away if I was yeah. in a normal environment. For some reason at a conference, you're like, hey, look at this. Yeah, yeah. Every time you walk normally. around and it goes, oh, like, what do you guys do? And it's like, oh, we do this, we do this, we do this. No qualifying, no discovery whatsoever. Whereas you should mm. always be like, actually, you know, it would be good to understand like what you do. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then you well, can go into that. My um, biggest takeaway was that you have to sell a really shit deal that stinks and hurts in order to know how to get a good deal in the future. You have yeah. to you have to suck at negotiating. Well, not suck at negotiating, but you have to you have to do a negotiation that sucks in order to know in future. No, do you know what? I need leverage next time. I need to know like what timescales are you working against? Is the clock running down? What's the cost of inaction on that clock? What's the um, what's the cost of like not what's the opportunity cost of of not taking action now and so on and so on and then that way by the time you get to the next opportunity that comes around you ask those questions so that you know i'm I'm in the right position interestingly this happened to me today one of our prospects is i've got to look at a demo of your biggest competitor first before i make a decision and i'll let you know tomorrow and then he emailed me afterwards saying hey sorry just forgot to ask do you have your data center in europe because our security policy is really strict and it can only be in europe I was like, yes, ours is in Europe and our competitors is not. So do you want to cancel that demo that you've got and we can just catch up on the contract tomorrow? Like not that it's exactly the same, but knowing enough about the con- the customer and their context and the discovery and their requirements, everything that needs that they need as a business means that I'm in a much better position now in my negotiation because I'm like, well, you can't use the competitor angle against me again because I know that they've been DQ'd by your security team. So it's like you do the discovery, you, you get better at negotiation. It's so interesting you say that as well, because there's an instance where like there's a, a rep on my team that has they've got a really good champion, a good business case, and they're going to eventually take it up to the C-suite. And then uh, they're speaking to the champion and, and they're like, OK, what, what's going to be the blockers to buying it now? And the champion's gone. Well, if we take the business to the C-suite, they're going to go. Why haven't go and look at all the competitors? And, and they said, well, how, you know, the rep came and in, in a call, we were like, how do you combat that? And I was like, well, tell your champion to get all the demos out of the way. Yeah, first. yeah, yeah. And they were like, why didn't I think of that? I was like, and then you've armed them to be like, oh yeah, I went and had demos of all the providers. I went with X because mm. of these reasons. Like mm. I looked at them and they were like, okay, cool. 100%. It, yeah. 
It's so funny because my customers, my prospect in is, is in the same as the moment. He was like, my my EB is making me go and look at all the competitors before I can choose you, even though I'm going to choose you. It's like being it's, it's like being late to the RFP when you know the RFP is not built for your fucking criteria. <laughs> but I'm the guy who's built the criteria. So this time around, I don't care. Had a scenario, I always remember this last year with a relatively large deal where a, a, a buyer turned up, they're like head of sales ops. And then she went, yeah, we're going to buy your biggest competitor. Like, you've got 30 minutes. Like, I'm just doing you a bit of like, you know, I don't even know what you call it. Face service, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I was just sniffing around. Like, I'm going to buy them. And I feel like that might have been my best sales pitch ever in 30 minutes. And I was like, strap yourselves in. Put your seat <laughs> out. <laughs> this is why customers choose us over them. And then she was like, shit. But I didn't know you did all of that stuff. <laughs> Fair enough. And she said, you've actually earned time. I'll get my boss in a call. And we did a, another 45-minute session. I think we did one 30-minute call after that. And we signed a deal that was like six, seven times our average order value last year. Three calls. So excited for the end of that story to be that we signed the deal. I was yeah. really worried you were going to and they still signed with the other yeah. people. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they still signed. But it was funny enough, actually. Yeah, it was like, it was supposed to be an hour demo and she, and she turned up. I always remember and she was like, you got 30 minutes, mate. Crack on. Oh, God. I was I'm like, really, oh, I'm really pleased you, go, you know, you're like so not prepared for that. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. to start. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Kendall. Yeah, cheers, Kendall. Take care, mate.